marketing technology is not done being set up when the implementation is complete. Implementation is the start. It's like your freshman year. It's like your freshman two months, however long it takes, especially with marketing automation. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be all done by the end of one month, two months, three months. It's a process. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. Today, you'll hear an episode from our Takeover Tuesday series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sanger Molly says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Hey, everyone. We're live. Today's guest is a marketing leader, mentor, and speaker. He's the author of Marketing Automation Unleashed. He's an avid outdoor adventurer and mountain climber. He's the founder and CMO of Cheshire Impact, and he's the host of this podcast. That's right. He's a guest today on his own show. We're flipping the script or flipping the mic or something. Today's guest is Casey Cheshire. Casey, welcome to your own show. <laughs> hey, thanks, Ethan. Man, this is so cool. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, uh, my name is Ethan Butte. I was a guest on this podcast on episode 95. I'm the chief evangelist at BombBomb, co-author of Rehumanize Your Business. So we'll do a little author talk here. And I also host the Customer Experience Podcast. So Casey, I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to host you on your own show. A, you're an awesome dude. B, I really enjoy the show and, and mm-hmm. it's just fun to participate in a new way. Yeah, you know what? Maybe I get to answer some questions now. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you have to love as a host um, all of the learning that you get to do and be able to share that learning with the audience too. But, um, you know, it just came time here uh, to turn it around and kind of unpack all of the great insights that you have, especially on marketing automation, especially coming on the heels of the release of your book, which probably forced you to really organize a lot of the teachings and learnings that, that we're going to be getting into today. It did, you know, and I love talking about this stuff. I love marketing automation. And so I'm like, please give me an opportunity to tell everyone, especially the people that I really love, which are subscribing to this show. I, I need some way of telling you all about marketing automation. So this is a great way to do it. Cool. Well, I don't want to, uh, to break format. So we're going to start with Thor's hammer. I love this approach. We're carrying around all these myths with us. It is now up to you, Casey, to pick up the hammer and smash some myth that that you think just its its best days are behind it. All right. I got the hammer. Here it is. All right, smash. Hey, marketing technology is not done being set up when the implementation is complete. Implementation is the start. It's like your freshman year. It's like your freshman two months, however long it takes, especially with marketing automation. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be all done by the end of one month, two months, three months. It's a process. And so the biggest thing I'd love to smash is just the idea that some of these tools, especially something that's so key to marketing, like marketing automation has to be done at some point. No, you're going to be adding more to it throughout all the time. Well, you've helped people through a number of implementations. And um, so just give some guidance to folks. So here at BombBomb, we've transitioned marketing automation platforms. We're actually on our third one. We don't need to tell that story. But <laughs> this, this process of 
evaluating and then making the selection and then implementing. Talk a little bit about from the point of implementation, how should people maybe think about budgeting that time to make sure that they're constantly doing what you just recommended they do, which is uh, make it an iterative process over time that requires some level of investment. Maybe give some guidance there. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'm biased because I'm the implementation guy, <laughs> but, but here's what I've seen it, is that, you know, implementation, there's a lot to it, but it kind of boils down to something like tech setup and then training, tech training, and then strategy. And so it's not rocket science. And what I like to tell people, especially with Pardot, that's my love right there, but especially with that tool, or really any of these tools, you'll get it eventually. Um, now, you, you, whether it's like the tech training, you'll figure it out. It may be painful, but in the case of Pardot, it's kind of intuitive. So you'll eventually, hopefully figure it out. But it's like, you'll do the whole crawl, walk, and maybe you'll get to a run, but you're going to spend a lot of time. You know, you might spend a year trying to figure out something or you might learn the hard way. So really the whole point of an implementation, if it's done by, you know, an experienced partner is just to help you skip some of those stages and, and not have the same boo-boos and the same painful learning lessons that I had when I went through it the first time or you know, when the 2,000 plus other people you know, went through and we helped them out. Like we, we've learned from each and every one of these implementations. Hey, do try this. Eh, well, you could try that, but some people have and this is what happened. You, know, you can skip a lot of that. You can skip right to run. So that's the goal is I want you to skip right to run because you're still going to be building all sorts of cool nurtures and all sorts of cool features onto marketing automation for a long time. Dynamic content. There's all these cool things. I want you to get to the fun stuff and not be stuck crawling in like the beginning stages. Yeah. And making sure it's set up the right way. I mean, you be, I can see so many benefits and we had partners uh, in all of our transitions just for that. Just like, let's just jump over all the painful stuff and get right to uh, right to implementation. Um, one, one quick follow-up question there. Have you ever gone back into a, a team or a company that you've done an implementation for to kind of do a reset? Because what I imagine is a lot of the companies you're working with are probably growing. The market's changing, their business is changing, the marketing team is changing, maybe the sales team is changing. And so, you know, even everything around the, autom the marketing automation system is moving. And so I have to imagine it might be useful to have a, a, a formal reset at some point as well. Yeah, you know, the Marine Corps has like Semper Fi, Semper Fidelis, always faithful. I've also heard the Semper Gumby term, like always flexible, right? Uh, and you just kind of have to roll with it. Yeah, there, there's one particular client we work with, great team, ended up transitioning, different people moving in and out of the company. The people that came after them moved them off of Pardot. And so we weren't working with them anymore. And then, then some other team actually went through the process to select and move them on to part. I had no idea about the previous, like your company's already been on this tool before. Yeah. We actually were the ones that help you set up. Let's tell you what you did, what your, your predecessors, your ancestors did earlier. So these things happen. Also, you know, teams, when they first get it, they're like, all right, let's do this. And, and they, they, they're off to the races and that's good, especially if we've done our job and you know how to use the thing and there's like, go, go, go. And so then we, we have a graduation ceremony. Uh, I think we used to send out diplomas and then, you know, we want people to be successful, but sometimes we'll get contacted. So a few months later, and usually the reason is no one tells you a roadmap of like what to do next. And, and sometimes the software vendors can just make me guilty of this where they just say, here's a thousand features you can use, go ahead and pick one. And so 
people can get distracted like cats looking at the next shiny thing. Oh my God, that feature is amazing. I wonder what that'll be like to set up. Oh, there's another feature and you never really get a chance to get your feet underneath you. Yeah, it's so hard. Managing expectations is such a big part of any kind of onboarding and setup. And frankly, it should be established in the sales process. Hey, let's talk a little bit about uh, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Subtitle is the strategic path to B2B growth. I think one of its, its main features is the Cheshire Success Index. Yeah. But let, let's start at a high level. Why did you write this book and what was the journey like for you personally? Yeah, you know what? Man, it, it, it was like a, it's a long process, right? You know, you, you've written one too. You know, I had this experience where I was at this office working with a president of a, of a large bank and I was trying to explain some more advanced things of like revenue optimization is what we'd call it now lead to revenue and these kind of concepts. And the eyes were kind of glazing over. And to be fair, they had just purchased marketing automation and we were there to help them set that up. So talking more about this, you know, sales marketing connected thing wasn't quite hitting, sinking in yet because he didn't even quite understand what marketing automation was. So I kind of paused for a second because I, I was seeing my audience wasn't uh, giving me the normal Casey like amaze response. And so I, I took a step back, paused, and then I said, you know, let me tell you about marketing automation. And for me, I've been, you know, working in this for years and you, the, you can be kind of taking it for granted if you've been in it so much. And so I took a step back. I said, hey, capture, nurture, automate. Capture, nurture, automate. I wrote them on the dry erase board and I went through and I started explaining each one and his eyes were like lighting up and he rearranged meetings. You know, he didn't have much time, but now he had time and then his team wasn't available, but now they were available and like the, the skies opened up and angels started singing and harps were playing. And so I was like, oh, there's something going on here. I, I need to go back to the basics and just talk through the core features and functionalities. And then you mentioned the CSI. It, it's that roadmap I was mentioning that people don't usually have. No one, no one tells them what to do first, second, third, or fourth with any kind of authority. And so we thought, okay, let's cover some basics. Let's get some core values down for what this stuff actually is. Let's tell people how to roll it out in order. Do this first, then this, then this, then this, so you can get some traction. I love it. I think it's, you know, marketing automation is not new. How, how, long, have, how long has the term marketing automation in its, in its current form been used approximately? That's a great question. You know, I've, I've been using it for like 11 years and I'm not even I'm saying super early adopter. I'd say maybe 15. Right. You know? And so I, I think, you know, there have obviously been books written about it before, but it's still successful use of it, I think, is still relatively new. And of course, what, it's, what it actually means, like what's under the hood, some of the features and the things that we're capable of doing now are in fact brand new. And so I, I love that you took this on, A, as a benefit to your clients, and then B, as a benefit to, you know, all these other folks that have maybe been involved in um, you know, the evaluation implementation, maybe they walked into a shop where it's already up and running. But again, to your point, having taken for granted that there's a whole lot more we could be doing here. Are we doing it the right way? And all these other yeah. things. So I love that you took that on. Any surprises along the route to from, from I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this thing written to now it's available for purchase? Yeah, a lot of surprises. But one, one thing you mentioned earlier, there actually aren't a lot of books on this topic, which is okay. so bizarre to me because it's like, this is the tool that is like the CRM for sales. If someone's doing sales on Excel still, you're like, what are you doing, grandpa? Like you're, you're in the right. wrong era here. Like we use CRM in the cloud now, right? It's like a no brainer. You've got to do it that way. 
Well, doing marketing, especially in the B2B side, without a marketing automation platform, it, it's like blind. It's like the might as well be madman days, you know, like, what are you doing? This is so crazy. But they're really, I mean, Matt Sweezy has a great book. He's a great guy. He's got his second book out now, right? So, so he has marketing automation for dummies. And then I, when I was looking for like, what else is out there? There's nothing else. You know, SEO books pop up when you do an Amazon search. I'm like, what's going on? Like, where, where's the guidance for, there's so many vendors out there that, that have this software. I like Pardot, but there's many others. So where are the books on more of that strategy of where you need to go? And they weren't there. So it just was like a no brainer. We got to get this information out to people. I love it. I'm going to assume, I hope safely that no matter what system someone is using, they can get valuable insights about their, whether it's Pardot or not, um, that, that they're going to get some valuable stuff out of this. Yeah, totally true. Totally true. Um, platform agnostic in terms of strategy, right? So the way I, I position it is strategy, process, technology. You got to get that strategy figure. And by the way, strategy is the most overused word in all of marketing, at least one of them. Um, and all it means is to have a goal and have a plan to achieve the goal. That's like all it means if you Google it. And I was blown away when I saw, I was like, I don't actually know. I hear I was like a marketer for six or seven years. Everyone uses the term and I'm doing this book. I'm thinking, what is strategic? <laughs> I don't even know. Everyone abuses it. And Google's like, hey, simple answer. Have a goal, have a plan. And so if you don't have a goal and don't have a plan, like what are you even doing? So uh, yeah, it's like these strategies will cover all sorts of technology. They'll cover Pardot for the next generation. They'll cover, it's like, it's the kind of stuff that's evergreen, right? As opposed to it'll, it's you know, already dated tomorrow. Um, and so really whatever tool you're using, it, you can use this book to sort of stand, measure up to, can I accomplish all the things in this roadmap with whatever tool I have? And if you can, great. Really, I want you to actually accomplish them. Because what I found is that most people with marketing automation across the board, when we first meet them, they're using something like 30% of the tool or less. And 30% is actually, that's a, it's a, cl a cliff, a drop off. It's not like a bell curve where it's like, oh, friendly. No, 30% and then it just tanks. I love it. And I, I love this, this book then for um, people. So for us, for example, we did a, we did a tech stack review and, you know, toward, uh, toward the beginning of fourth quarter last year in anticipation of 2020 budgeting. And, um, you know, we found that that number and not just in marketing automation, but in a variety of tools. I'm sure everyone sure. listening, no matter what seat in the house they're in, are like, yeah, yeah, we, don't, we definitely don't use that to the fullest. We definitely don't use that to the fullest. So love what you've done here. Congratulations on articulating the roadmap, drawing it out for other people, leaning on your experience, sharing stories, and uh, helping a lot of people through that process. Let's get a little bit into marketing automation in particular to really get your worldview on it. And so let's start with your CNA. What is marketing automation from your point of view, Casey? Yeah, marketing automation. What the heck is this thing? You know, it's, it's the tool to end all tools. Uh, right. It's the tool that everything else connects to. If you, you can do lead gen, do all these other things, and then it all comes into, it's like your marketing platform of record. And I like to define it with four words. And I mentioned them earlier. It's capture, nurture, automate. That is the four things we do. And it, it kind of shifts and changes up the way you do marketing from the old days of like spray and pray, just shooting emails off to random people. Um, and really, I mean, if you want, I can go through like the, the capture. Sure, yeah. Nurture, yeah. So on the capture side, it's all about, you know, getting people in and capturing them along the way and, and, and getting that lead who, 
land on your website and get them to convert. And it starts with these forms and, and like marketing automation has these magical forms. I, I actually call them magic forms in our training and I get it. It's not very textbook, but they're magic because what they do is they, they know who you are and it, and it knows every web page you visited on the site. In, in Google, normally it does this anonymously, right? It knows that 3,000 people went through this path and you can, you can adjust the path. And figure, but it doesn't want you to know specifically that it was Ethan that did it, right? Whereas Pardot does. And it know, oh, you did this. And then, I, oh, you did some research on my website. Excellent. And then you clicked on that collateral, right? So it's capturing all this information about you and then it, and the activity you're doing. And then it wants to be able to capture you as a lead and get you to you know, give a little information in, in exchange for some kind of content. And, you know, I like to go back and ask this question, you know, back to you. Are you married or are you married? I am. How many dates did you go on roughly before you got married? Oh gosh, I don't, dozens. And okay, so for people listening too, if, if you're not married, if you were going to get married, how many dates do you think you would go? So a dozen, more than a dozen. No, no, dozens. Dozens. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea. 50. Months. Yeah. It, yeah, it right? was, it was, it was months and then we got an apartment and then shortly thereafter we were married. Okay. Right. So it wasn't one, right? Correct. Right. And so that's the key point here. We don't usually expect, unless it's some kind of crazy movie that happens in Vegas, we don't normally expect there to be one and then we're getting married for all of life. Right. But somehow we expect our customers to come to our website and get married to us on the very first form right? And you see this all the time where you have a form with 12 fields on it. And, and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, this form. What, what right. are they? And then you go through the questions. Okay. Name, email, phone number. Oh, they're going to call me. What's your annual revenue? Ooh. Or what's your annual salary? What? Um, you know, blood type, social security number. Like what are right. you asking yeah, yeah. questions for? We just met. I just wanted your I just wanted your case study or your little white paper. I don't want to get married. I actually had a form like this. It was asking me my, my annual take-home pay. And I, was just, I just want your content, but I don't want it that bad. Like, who are you? You're asking me right. this information. So, so in the end, it, it, it's like, don't do this, right? Don't, don't try to one night stand your prospects, right? <laughs> they deserve better than this. And so what marketing automation does is it has a thing in capture it's called progressive profile. And what this does is simply allows you to ask a series of questions over several forms. So instead of asking all 12 right up front, and by the way, no one wants to fill that out. No one does fill that out. And in the studies have shown anywhere between one and 3%, give or take, you know, margin, improvement in conversion rate, a one to 3% improvement in conversion rate, the more fields you get rid of, right? So if you've got 12 and you get rid of five, you can have a 5%, 15% increase in leads that are completing that form. You could literally have more leads coming in just from shortening up those forms. And so what part allows you to do is one, it'll never ask a question twice. And I've had this happen before where- So smart. You know, it's you just fill out brutal. One form, yeah, fill out one form and then it says, oh, okay, great. This was actually the, the, the evildoers that I, I, they wanted my salary. So I, I'm pretty sure I lied. And I put something like, oh, I have a, I'm a billionaire. And then um, I got to another piece of content and they asked me the same question again. And it was required. I'm like, you asked me, to, I lied last time. I'm going to have to do it again. To yeah. you. Um, and it's like, you know, or calling the bank, right? You call the well, bank. And then think about what that does with your data. 
Oh yeah. Right? You, you give people the chance to, I mean, in your case, you're doing it mostly for fun. Like I'm going to mess with this a little bit because it's such a ridiculous question and opportunity, but you know, think about like, so, so then what rule are you going to write? You're going to overwrite the old data with the new data or are you going to accept the previous data like this? And this idea of making people fill out the same form multiple times has a number of negative impacts on the customer experience. Frustration is one, but then data hygiene on the other end. Like what if they, you know, all so many problems with it. It's so crazy. And, and I think just, I want to add to your point of removing fields. I, I know on, on, on the practitioner side of it early on, in your career, your tendency is maybe to want to put, to think about the form as you're constructing it to say, gosh, what do we, what do we really want to know? As opposed to how little can we accept at this point and still know that we have enough to move forward. And so, yeah, flipping that question around to say like, what is the least amount of information we could take here and still make it constructive for both parties? Yeah, I think, I love that because you're, you're, instead of saying, what can I get out of this? You're, you're saying, what's their experience going to be like? And, and I know how this happens, right? Sales wants this information. Marketing thinks this would be helpful. Yeah. No one eliminates anything. And then you have 10 or 12 fields and it's like gross. Yeah. yeah. Even seven, right? You have all these fields. And to your point, do you really need that out the, out the gate? There's plenty of those YouTube video you know, spoofs where you're on a first date and the person's like, so how many children do you want? You know, you have any diseases in your family? Like these are not right. questions for your first date people, <laughs> you know, right. save it for down the road. I'll learn that in time, whether or not <laughs> my, my potential in-laws are crazy or not. Right. <laughs> so your parents, they have a criminal record, you know, anything yeah. I should know about? All right. I'll see you later. I gotta yeah. go. My, someone, my friend's texting me. <laughs> okay. When I, I feel this te- tease up the nurture conversation. Yeah. Um, because again, if you have progressive profiling, maybe the next time around is you're offering something else of value, you get, you get one of those fields that you gave away. Yeah. And maybe the next time you get an additional field that you gave away so that you don't have a, you know, nine field form and instead it's a five field form, but over time progressively, I'm just making an assumption here that, that that's part of the nurturing process. But talk a little bit about the nurturing process and maybe some great tips for people. You know what? Um, Nurturing is another thing. I love doing this. I don't know. It's like my thing. I don't know. Um, you know, some of those, uh, those authors, um, they all have their own little shtick. I love Googling simple words just to kind of find out what I didn't know, what they actually meant, you know, cause I kind of feel like I know all these words, but like nurturing was one of them. Nurture, right? Uh, you're like, huh, what is nurturing? Cause you know, there's nurturing campaigns, but what is that really? Right? Super simple to care for and encourage the growth or development of, right? And yes, one of the best examples of this is like moms growing up, right? Moms have that special gift that, uh, and some dads too, right? They have the special gift as parents to be able to encourage and then, you know, care for and encourage the growth, right? So we want to encourage them and we want to care for them and encourage that growth in a certain direction. That's really what nurturing is. And so, Yes, we do need to get that second form filled out, especially because I don't like to ask phone number on the first form, right? I get that on the second form. I make it required. I don't play games with required, not required. Hey, second form, now we're dating. What's your phone number? Don't worry, I'm not playing calling you. Or maybe I'm going to call you. But either way, here it is. And, and so to get them back, yes, we need them to fill out that second form. But also, 
we want to encourage their growth. I remember one time I joined this company before they had marketing automation and I joined one of the sales calls of one of the, um, the sales rep was calling one of the leads that marketing had provided. And the first, you know, they, they got connected on the phone. I'm like a fly in the wall, my notebook listening. What are they going to say? And the first question out of the prospect's mouth was, who are you? And what do you do again? Right? <laughs> like, you don't even know. You don't even, Wow, this is a horrible, this is not a lead. You just harassed right. this person in their home. Like, right, and making someone feel like a number. I mean, that really, there's, in, in customer feedback, there's nothing worse than making people feel like a number. And it's this idea of like, you are the next task on my list. Can you tell me more about yourself? Task yeah. on my list? Just brutal. Yeah. yeah, no one knew why they were, no one wanted to be on the call. Sales rep didn't, knew this wasn't a good lead. Lead didn't even know who they were. No one wanted to talk, but yet they had to talk because some company had connected them, you know, and it's like, oh, let's fix this. So, you know, with nurturing, it, it really, it ties into that noble purpose of wanting to actually encourage people to grow as, you know, as your customers actually solve their problems, right? If you can keep solving their problems with these different content pieces you have, they'll keep eating them. They'll keep reading them and taking them. You don't have to ever worry about, can we get them back to fill out our next form? Or should we ask everything up front and trick them, right? You won't have to worry about that because you're going to continue to nurture them. And so that happens, you know, throughout that beginning process. And then we get into, let's say you, you know, what's interesting is people think of nurturing on the marketing side, but then they forget that when you hand it off to sales, you need, they, sometimes they need a little help over there because oftentimes in sales, it's like fit or fold. If this, if these cards don't fit, right? If, if, if it's a, seven, nine offsuit, you know, the rule book says I have to get rid of this. So if, if a prospect, you know, gets on the phone or won't get on the phone and says, I'm not interested or call me in six months, then what do they do? Well, normally they just delete it. They leave it. They make it go away. The better ones will say, okay, let me set a reminder on my CRM to call back in six months. But now we've entered the danger zone. And it's like, cue up the Top Gun theme song, you know? Yeah, yeah. Find the danger zone. They're going to remake that movie too. I don't know. I don't know what's going to come out of that. Just a whole bunch of really cool shots with- Probably. I think it's it's a cinematic spectacle more than it is any kind of a story to be told. Right, right. It's like a second- (laughs) Second prize, but, but I'm but I'm with you. It's like it's like what happens in that six months? Do they forget about the need or the opportunity? Do they get it solved elsewhere? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what I'm looking at buying. But I know that if I if I get it in my mind that I need to evaluate a buying opportunity, no matter what it is, personal or professional, you know, it just kind of stays with me a little bit. And I'm not ready to pull the trigger now. And I might tell a salesperson, hey, you know, I'm I'm at least six months out here. It doesn't mean yeah. I'm not still shopping. It doesn't mean I'm not still curious or worst case scenario, I, I forget about the opportunity altogether. And so, you know, when we pick back up, I'm still starting at square one unless you successfully nurture. Right, right. And it, what's crazy is we don't know if that's a brush off or not. Are you really going to be ready in six months or are you being polite? And apparently Americans are polite. Uh, now, I've been to New York and I, I could argue otherwise. I've been all like, over and that's not the case. Yeah, the Yankees I've suck. been on Sorry. Facebook and that's not the case. <laughs> right. True, yeah. true. Yeah. Um, apparently, they're more direct elsewhere around yeah. the world. But so, hey, call me in six months. But I'll keep telling you that so I don't have to ever tell you no. But sales reps don't know that. So not only can they use some help with by saying, you know, set a reminder, but they also could use some nurturing where maybe at a minimum, that prospect gets a little 
top of mind warming action where they're getting an email once a month from that same rep and it's helpful content. Again, back to nurturing. It's not, hey, bye, bye, bye once a month. It's like, here's a really cool thing we came out with. Here's another cool, it might help answer some questions as you're doing your research. And, um, and what's crazy is there's no guarantee that when that person is done doing what they're doing, if that's truly what is happening, that they're going to reach back out to you, right? There's no agreement. There's no tacit like, oh, I'm the vendor of choice. You're going to reach back out to me in six months. They might not do that. In fact, they may just reach out to the first person that reaches out to them. So oftentimes I've seen, I even have an email that I like to show groups where it's, it's like an actual nurture email that got replied to and ended up in a purchase. And I'm like, look guys, look at this email. And we kind of dissect it. And it, it literally says, you know, I, the person wrote back to this email and said, you know, I hired the webmaster I was talking about hiring. I'm ready to go. Let's check out this tool that I, that I said, call me in six months. And that email was sent like month three. So it wasn't even six months later. It was three months later. And they were like, let's do this. And if that email hadn't been there and, and being top of mind, that person may have reached out to some other one. You know, who knows? And oftentimes sales reps will get that response where they go, hey, it's six months, you ready to buy? And they're like, oh, so sorry. I went with your competitor. I just, they called and I, so I'm sorry. You know, yeah. like nurturing prevents that and it fixes that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, one way to capture some of the essence of that is you're selling to a window, not just to a person, right? That oh. just the timing has to be right, you know? I like that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's capture and nurture. What's next? Automate, capture, nurture, automate. So, hey, the thing is called marketing automation, right? And, uh, and so why is there a whole category for automation? So a lot of this ties to some of the inner workings and being able to set this, the tool up to do some thinking for you. And I remember when I, before I got marketing automation the first time, I was a marketing team of one and I was asking the CEO, I need help. Give me a marketing coordinator. Give me an intern. I need somebody because time I was using NetSuite to send an email out and it took me four hours to send an email out and I needed a checklist and it was terrible. So I was like, I need help. So we got Pardot and I started automating some things, got, got some nurtures happening automatically behind the scenes. And I stopped asking. I, di I didn't need actually any help because the emails were going out. It was easy to send them. And really when it comes to automation, it was the idea of scoring and grading and the idea of actually rating the leads in a two-dimensional way, how good they are and getting that information over to sales so they can then make some decisions. So not only was it helping to understand which leads were the right ones to call first, but it was also even automating the fact, are they ready and listening for that? So, so marketing automation does a great job of just sort of sitting there. Now we're already capturing all this engagement data. We know they're doing research, they're clicking your site, they're completing forms. And at some point, each one of those actions is going to increase their score to the point where it hits a threshold. And that threshold, you can raise it, lower it like limbo. But when they hit that, you can automatically send them over to sales. So this, the exact rep that it should be in the region and the territory and all that, but you can, you can make that happen. And I've talked to many organizations where part of this tech, like a human's doing that, you know, where marketing is like looking at every single lead and trying to figure this thing out and trying to get them to a certain place. And sometimes you need that for the oversight, but in the end, you want to get out of that and get that automated so you can speed things up because oftentimes you hear, it's like a study that the first person to call lead usually wins like all the time. So if you can be first, let's do that. If you get a lead in, you don't want it to be sitting there. And I actually met a lady who was the connector between this 
old marketing automation tool in their CRM and she would have to every day like pull up the list and then write them into the CRM. You don't want to wait for whoever that is to type them in. And meanwhile, your competition, they're already calling and you're in the back foot now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really important. And I, I love this idea of being able to prioritize who we're going to reach out to. And I would assume that on that push over to sales, now the salesperson has a list of activities this person performed and they have a better sense of A, why are they showing up in my list? And then B, what do I know about them, right? And it yeah. gives you things that you can talk about and ask about. Like, hey, I noticed that you maybe grabbed this piece. Do you have any questions about that one in particular kind of a thing? It's, it, it gives you things and reasons uh, to talk. Yeah. I mean, the whole challenge is sales not calling your leads, right? Sales is always saying we don't send enough. And the marketing is always like, well, you never call them anyways. Right. Yeah. And so there's a sort of disconnect. It's like we're arguing, but we're not on the same page. And so if we can assist sales in prioritizing their time, because the whole point of marketing automation is prioritize human time, right? <laughs> human time is not scalable. You need a body, you need a person to do that. That's expensive. Pardot or marketing automation, it's working 24 seven. You don't need to feed it. It doesn't take breaks. It just does its thing and it's happy, right? Like, Hey, so the whole point is then to prioritize that human time. And you know, one of the crazy things is that I love the idea and Pardot has this where you have a, a lead score and a lead grade and, it, mm. and whether you call them that or any, whatever system you have, you need two dimensions. And so historically what happens is marketing creates this lead score for sales. And it's this ginormous number, 7,404, and it gets sent over to sales. And you're like, what is this? And it doesn't make any sense. But worst case scenario, marketing is like, that's our best lead ever. Please, sales, call them. You never call anyone. Escalate to the VP of sales. Okay, fine. We'll call this one. They call and it's like a student doing research at a yeah. university, you know, and then marketing has more than egg on its face. Sales is like, I knew you never sent good stuff. And then they don't call anymore. So what was happening there is they were trying to have the engagement and the activity of that particular prospect, that lead, and the quality of it. Two different dimensions flattened out into one number. And that, that's impossible, right? Because you could have a student who's not a good lead, it's a terrible lead. And you could have a CFO who has no time of day for all of your little marketing things maybe filled out one form, maybe attended a one webinar and clicked on three web pages. That, that college student is going to far surpass that CFO in activity. But in terms of a grade, a grade, a lead grade, if you're, if you're separating out the quality, then you can actually identify that separately. And you can, what I like to do is sort first by the grade, by the quality, and then by the action and the activity and the engagement. That way, sales now has a list of, here are all the A's, here are all the decision makers who have budget and they're ready to roll. And here's, you know, the relative engagement across the board. So call the A's first, then the B's, then the C's. Then Don't call the D's. We won't send any over and marketing will never send over any F's. Love it. Makes sense. I mean, and yeah. any, even though that lead score is built of a number of criteria, there are lots of ways to rack up the points. It's still not a full picture of the person. I love that grade uh, layer on it. So we're capturing people, we're nurturing people. We're automating some engagement. We're building relationships with sales. We're feeding them information. We're learning from the automation itself. We're saving a whole bunch of time, putting humans in their best place to win. What comes after that step? Well, it's kind of first and it's kind of last. Um, I added it on, right? When I was first told about marketing automation, they said capture, nurture, automate. I added reporting because it's a big deal. So yep. there is a universal 
question in marketing. It's the most, most asked question in marketing. And it is simply, what is it? It is, is this working <laughs> or is this not working? And then the follow-up, why is this working or why isn't right. this working? And yeah. why, right? Um, yeah. I remember being a marketer without marketing automation and I was an activity marketer. I was an action marketer and I, I was working at a company. I was a, a marketing manager, wee little lad. And, uh, and I remember being at lunch and the CEO of the company sort of strolled by and uh, asked me a question. And he's like, hey, Casey that's what CEOs sound like. And he was like, right. And he's like, Hey, uh, how many leads did we have? Oh, not how many leads. How many emails did we send this month? Right. How many emails did we send this month? And I don't normally know details, but I knew this detail. I somehow I looked at it. So I actually, it's about a million was the response about a million emails this month. He was like, great. Next month, let's make sure we send a million and a half emails. Right. At the time, I'm just like, okay, sir, right on, you know? Right. But when you really think about it, you're like, this, we weren't, and by the way, we weren't selling running shoes. We were selling data integration, right? Software, like $100,000 software. And, and we weren't saying add an extra half a million leads. We're saying those people we already have, send them more email. Just do more of what you do. And I'm sure that'll be helpful. And this is like that, that's the mistake. It's that, you know, taking a lesson from B2C where we shouldn't, which is, no, this isn't about, you know, brand recognition and just harass them enough and show them a picture of a, a gal running. And now you want to go running too and buy new shoes. It's, that's not what this is. You've got a complex, you know, account you're trying to close. You've got different people with different experiences. And so it's complicated. Just doing more activity doesn't necessarily equal results, right? And that's where you're at when you're not showing your ROI, when you're not showing what's working and what's not working. And that's what marketing automation shows you. It shows you, you know, where did the leads come from? You know, what sources? And then how much, how many closed deals did you get out of it? And the only way that works is because you're tying marketing automation to CRM. Yeah, I, it's so important. The, you know, that's a classic, I mean, it's not a traditional vanity metric, but it falls into the, the traditional kind of vanity problem, which is, you know, I call it activity worship. You know, to your point, I, I use that language too. And it's this idea of, you know, if, if we want X number, if we want X in new closed revenue or X plus Y in new and uh, expanded revenue uh, in some given period of time, I would much rather be able to accomplish that with 500,000 emails instead of a million or True. a quarter million emails instead of a million, right? Like you want to get the, the best return on all that. Cause again, you're asking for a lot of attention. You're asking for a lot of other people's time. So the faster you can get people to self-identify, raise their hand, participate and move forward because you've drawn out a great future and everyone involved in the process has done a nice job. Like less is more in general because it just shows an efficiency. Totally. And You'll sorry, because I speak quickly, I don't want it to be confused for inefficiency. It's <laughs> an efficiency. It's like, it's just more efficient. Right. You know, I have a story related to that. So doing less with more, right? Or doing more with less. Which one do you want? You want less and then more results from it. There was a particular client that came to us and they were doing a lot of trade shows. Do you, do you guys do a lot of trade shows at BombBomb? We have historically, yes. So this particular company was doing a lot. It was something on the order of 80 trade shows a year. Wow. And this is like the trade show where you're getting the booth, you're sending sales to staff it, sometimes the marketing as well. 
you're probably sponsoring, you're paying for the spot on the floor. Maybe you have a speaker, but 80 is a lot. Um, that, that's a lot of coordination. That, they had two booths flying around the country all at the same time to be able to hit all these different events. But, but <laughs> the challenge was they had no idea which ones were working. They, they had no idea which ones were successful. And every time they would add a new show, they were stuck continuing it, it like it would throw in the bag and they had to keep taking it with them because every year they did get new business. Now it wasn't tremendous, but they were, they were growing. Unfortunately, they didn't know why. It's your, your question. They don't know why. Why are we growing? Where is it coming from? So they were continuing to do, and that's how it kind of slowly over time ended up being 80 shows because gosh forbid we get rid of this show and that's the one where like all the leads are coming from. So um, the first thing we did is we, you know, they had, and they had part of, they had marketing automation. So we sat down with them and we're like, look, number two on this roadmap is this ROI track. And we got to do this. And this is, this is capture, nurture, automate reporting. This is reporting, right? We got to nail this for you. So we went ahead and set up uh, some first touch tracking to be able to show, okay, the leads, you got these different shows are now all tagged appropriately and categorized and they're tied into sales deals and opportunities and magic happened. Any guesses how many of those shows were actually effective? I, you know, I'm going to hedge it here. I'm going to say half of them. Half of them? Not bad. Sometimes I get like cynical answers where people say like four. I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but half of them is pretty good. It's, it's a little closer to that 80-20 kind of thing. 30 of them were good. 30 of, the, 30 of the shows were driving some kind of business to the point where it was worth doing it. Um, but that meant there was 50 shows, 50 flying sales, putting them in hotels, you know, booths and travel and sponsorships that was completely ineffective. It was crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, that is highly inefficient. And again, you, you just don't know which ones, right? Again, there's that old, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, it's trite to say it now, but it's this, you know, I know some of my dollars are working. I just don't know which ones. So true. Yeah. And so, and so that reporting layer is super critical. Obviously the whole CSI, the 10 steps, capture, nurture, automate report is all packed into marketing automation unleashed. So I'm going to honor the format of this show. <laughs> I'm going to transition a little bit and you've already set it up a little bit because you told some young Casey stories. Take me all the way back. Um, where, where are you growing up? Where are you coming from? Where are you today? Yeah. Who is this crazy guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. Back in the day. Now, this is a tough question. See, I ask other people this question all the time, but yeah. it's like, where do you start, right? So, yeah, yeah. Well, how about this? Where are you in the world today? Right now? Well, right Physically. now? Yeah. Are you, are you giving me a free pass out of that question? No, no, no. I'm breaking I'm, it down I'm for go, you. Uh, okay. I'm going to okay. guide you through it. Okay. Yeah. Guide me through. Um, you could be my, my spirit animal. Yes. Um, so where am I at today? Physically, where are you? Oh, New in Hampshire. The, in the United States. New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking like metaphysically. Where am I? Where am I at? No, no, no. That's good. Now I know why you went to the spirit animal. Um, uh, (laughs) Have you born and raised? No, you know, grew up in Virginia and Ohio, then New Hampshire, military family, right? So Mm -hmm. traveling around a little bit, dad in the Air Force. And um, thankfully, really was like first grade on was New Hampshire. So I was really blessed in that regard to not be in like nine other geographies throughout his career. But yeah, grew up in a military family and then in New Hampshire, just, you know, doing soccer and magic and hacking away on the computer. I, I think I, I've always kind of been that little like 
part creative, part analytical person where I'm not analytical enough to be like, oh, I love math. And I'm not so creative to the point where like, I hate math. I kind of like a little bit of both, you know? And so I've always kind of been on both sides of the line. I'll go do a magic show for the kids in the neighborhood and then turn around. And, you know, I remember like I was 16, I picked up some HTML book. Like, I don't even know why I did that, but I picked it up and I'm like, I could learn HTML. And you start doing that. And that was back in the days of America Online and, you know, dial-up modems. Awesome. And so you, you did a computer science degree, right? Yeah. You know what? Like you think, like I was playing around AOL. Like for me, it was like, what? Internet? I can, I can talk to someone in, a, in another location. It's a big deal, people. Like you, if you grow up when you've always had it, you're like, yeah, it just I'm connected. But no, you're not connected. People have to call your home phone and ask for you. No, now they can just email you. So it was a big deal. And, and I remember I really enjoyed creating websites. I made a link exchange website called the Rubber Chicken Club. And I just had so much fun that I thought, this computer stuff is great. You know, AOL and coding this. And I learned how to code AOL back in the day. I was like, this is kind of cool. Must be computer science is the thing. Only to find out that computer science degrees in college, they're kind of behind, right? And so I'm kind of dark and on, on school sometimes because I, I wanted to learn internet and HTML and all these things. And they took me into like coding land and heavy math courses. And now I'm not the heavy math person. So it was like torture at school sometimes. Um, but all of my electives were communications, which is funny. So I ended up banging out that computer science degree, but they kept taking me deeper and deeper. And eventually we were coding microprocessors, which is like a gate that's either open or closed. Like how boring can you get? It's closed. It's open. Where no, it's closed again. It's open again. Oh, it's closed. Like, okay, where's the the human connection in all of this? And that's what I was really looking for. So I really have always been like a, a technical communicator. You know, it's like use the tech to connect with more people. That's really that. And so I eventually was able to do a communications degree um, and do a lot of internships around that same amount of time to be able to get those degrees. But you, really wasn't the schooling that, that where I got the learning. I remember I had hacked a bunch of websites, uh, not hacked them, I'd, I'd built a bunch of websites. And summer of like my freshman year in college, I would email a bunch of companies who would have terrible websites. And I would write them an email saying, in true, you know, 19, 20 year old fashion, like your website's terrible and you're a company, you should know better. But I would email people saying this and I'd say, but I can fix it. <laughs> for like, did you generate some business that way? I did. Yeah. yeah. People like, okay, kid, you're on. Fix this website. I probably quoted some terribly small number, but for me, it was great. And for them, there's like, yeah, make us not look like idiots online. You know, we don't understand what this is, but we know it looks bad. Please help us. And so one of the companies though was um, actually had a cool website. And I actually wrote to them and I said, I've been telling people all day that their websites are terrible, but I actually like yours. Good job. Keep it up. And it was actually a, like a, an IT company. And they wrote back and they said, thanks. Would you like a job being a web dev for us? And, and so I started doing a lot of work with them and, and doing some marketing and even did a radio show with them. So it was like, it was all these kind of cool experiences outside of school that I would always test things out and, and try to build stuff. I love it. Where does your service in the Marine Corps fit in this kind of time window? Sure. Sure. You know, like growing up in a military family, you just assume like, of course I'm going to go in the military. And, you know, I had a lot of opportunities to potentially go into the military. Like I'd been nominated for the Air Force Academy and all these places. 
didn't do so hot in calculus. Did I really, did I really attack it? Probably not. So like, and then looking back, I'm like, I would have been a terrible fighter pilot. Like that was like, you were destined to go be a, no, I would have been, it would have been horrible. Like, and so (laughs) like, uh, good evening passengers. You're supposed to be flying to Miami tonight, but Las Vegas sounds like fun. Let's go there instead. You know, like you don't need creativity for that. Yeah. So, you know, there's I had all these opportunities to go, you know, the, the ROTC route and all this kind of thing through school. But what I ended up gravitating toward was actually theater. So it was like that creative side, um, trying to probably, it's probably re- repressed and regressed from all this math homework I had to do. I had to do some theater at the same time. So yeah, I kind of went through school and one of my first companies was really running the theater company at my, at my school. It, it was probably my most favorite experience because I was directing the play, producing it, the president of the theater company, running it like a business. I got online ticket sales set up for the first time ever and the pre- got the president of the college and the newspaper showed up and we got the president of the college buying the first ticket for our show. Classic. And, but the secret is, he actually pulled me aside and said, I don't actually feel comfortable buying online. Can I write you a check? Right? Like that's how early it was in these, in these days. And I'm like, sure, we got the picture, whatever. But you know, it's like just trying new things and running a company. And I remember seeing some of my, my notebooks from college recently. And I had this book full of matrices and abstract algebra. And I just looked at it like, oh my, how did I do any of that? <laughs> that looks crazy. But then it was like maybe an inch thick. But then I looked over and there was a, like a four inch thick binder. And that was the theater binder. And I realized, oh, okay, that was kind of, you know, me running things and being creative over there. Um, but to get to your question, you know, I went through school like this and, and really the military never had an opportunity until marketing happened. I had graduated. I was doing this got a cool job. It's kind of a technical communication job, being a recruiter, a tech recruiter, calling people, see if they want a, a new job. And, and I'd heard there are free helicopter flights at a nearby college, if you want one. And I thought, that sounds cool. I, who doesn't like a free helicopter flight? Like, let's do this. So I go to- the- I have a feeling this is the beginning of a really good capture story. Oh, it's such a great capture story. <laughs> uh, wait till you get to the nurture part. So, um, so I go and it's St. A's up in New Hampshire and, and I'm on the quad, this nice green quad. And then sure enough, this like Black Hawk helicopter comes down and lands right in the- in the field and like, come on, kid, hop in, you know, and not in the back with the luggage. No, no, no. I'm in the front on the left seat next to the pilot who is this female pilot, kick ass. She's like, Hey, come on board. I'm like, okay, let's do this. And we took off. We flew all over, you know, Manchester, New Hampshire. And you see, this is amazing. Right. And it's noisy and it's cool and it lands. And then who was that? That was the Marine Corps. (laughs) Well done. You know, I had never even considered them. I I thought they were kind of crazy. You know, my dad was in the Air Force and I thought, oh, Air Force, you know, smart people go there. And, and yeah, the Marines had cool commercials, but they were, they were like the crazy ones. Right. So I wouldn't do that. You know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, what's going on here? But they, they hooked me in with that marketing and that's how, that's how they captured me. Awesome. And, um, and so, uh, before we get a little bit into what brings you to life, and I know some of these things as part of the introduction, you worked for other people, but now you run Cheshire Impact, like pros, cons, 
were you always, I mean, I feel like from your email campaigns and building websites and fixing websites, you have this entrepreneurial spirit. Was that like a, um, how does that tension go for you working for others, working for yourself, building a team? Yeah. Yeah. I like to joke that I was a terrible employee. Uh, probably wasn't really, but looking back at yourself, you know, when you go and you're like, Oh, that wasn't very good. I, you know, always very innovative, always trying to push things and break whatever was existing there and just kind of calling it what it is and trying to make things better. And I realized it wasn't, I was a terrible employee. I was actually more of a, I had that consultant mindset, right? So I would show up to a new job and it's like, what's wrong? And like, what, what, what's the latest thing we can use here? What kind of strategy can we use to fix this? Yes, we've been doing this this way for a year, but like, why would I want to do that? And I remember at one company, it was this report. And it was kind of like that uh, movie, was it Office Space with a TPS report? This is yeah. called the FLS report. Like how, clo- how much closer can you get, right? FLS report. It, I was the junior marketer and it took me something like half a day, four or five hours to create this report. And what this was trying to show was ROI for a freemium model. Funny how we had to do all that work and now you can really get to that almost uh, automatically or automatically really with marketing automation. So all this work, it was Excel, doing this versus this. And there was this, you know, four or five page checklist you had process you had to flip through. And they're like, hey, new guy, you do this. And that was like, I don't want to spend my whole day doing this FLS report. So I learned macros in Excel and was like, let me see if the computer can do this by itself. And it could, right? So it was like, let's try things and break things. And that frees up my time to do some strategies and try some other things. And so, you know, I was always pushing and trying new things. And if I couldn't express that in the company, and normally I could, normally there was about a year and, and change where you could really bring ideas to a company. But sometimes after that point in time, the new guy becomes the status quo guy. And then you don't really have that. I don't know what that is. Um, but I, I, I've noticed that. And so then I, I would try to f- express that somewhere else. Maybe it was with a, a cool project on the side. And at, at one point I, I had a play publishing company just on the side where I would publish plays, comedy plays, Cheshire Comedy Publishing. It was, it was an interesting idea, but in practice, it meant hundreds of people would send you their plays, usually terrible plays that you had to read through and find the gem. And so that's what that business is all about. But I didn't know, but I was trying things and testing things and just kind of, you know, iterating and, and experimenting. And so when it came to actually, you know, starting a company, it wasn't on purpose. Like, let me get out of here. I got to run this company. I, I was doing it on the side, but it was really all about marketing automation. And I, and I didn't do it even deliberately. I know some people have these great stories about like wanting to, you know, save people in Africa or like, you know, world peace. I just really liked marketing automation because I, I used it at a company where I was, you know, marketing and marketing had no clout, no, no pull in the organization. Uh, they want to chop your budget. I used to start using marketing automation and I show like, we spent 5k and we got you 300k in business. And they're like, would you like 10k? How about 15? How far can I give you? Here's more money. And I was like, whoa, this is like a game changer. So I was always happy to talk to people about it and be a reference for marketing automation and Paradot and tell people about it. And so eventually some people just started saying, that's a really cool story. Do you think you could help us do the same thing? And so consulting came about organically, you know, and and so I just started helping people and eventually found other people that liked doing that too. And then it took off when Pardot was acquired by Salesforce. So when they got acquired, Pardot was like, look, we're going to send you a bunch more people. And I was like, great, I have a bunch more people on the team. 
quick, find more people on the team. And, right. and like, kind of like a Jerry Maguire moment, had to ask a few people, Kara and Kim and a few others, like, I know you think I'm crazy. And I was a month ago, but now this is real. Like I need, I need you to come join this crazy effort. And thankfully they did. And then a lot of other people have joined as well. And it's been such a blast to uh, be a part of the journey. I love it. I love the, the, just the personal interest, personal passion, uh, and just the way it naturally evolved because it was just so true to who you are and what your interests are. And it makes sense why you would want to capture all of that into a book before we wind this down completely. You know, you're, you're doing a lot of this stuff came on the side, you know, just out of personal interest, but you also climb mountains. You're going to do Kilimanjaro this summer. You skydive. You have a wife and two kids. Like, how do you balance all of this? Yeah, that's a good question. And because you have to train for some of this stuff too. You don't just go shoot up mountains. I mean, you got to train yeah. for it too. It's like, yeah, especially Kilimanjaro. It's one of those ones you don't just kind of like, hey, I'm just going to show up. See what yeah, happens. Show up on Saturday. See if I can't knock that out real quick. Right. It's just scary enough. I think that's why I picked it. I really like challenges. And I, and I think, you know, I didn't mention this when the, the Marine Corps story, but when the Marines invited me in to their office to evaluate and have a, have a conversation, right? They, they actually said, first of all, we're not going to give you any bonuses. We're not going to, um, you can't have your pick of the lot of what jobs you'd like to do. Oh, and by the way, we actually don't want you, right? And, and so, I don't blame them. I had been doing theater and drinking peppermint mochas all year long, right? I was not in shape. But something about that, and, and I'd never thought my lifelong dream was to become a Marine, but something about like, we don't want you, like this is a challenge, like thrown down the gauntlet. And I just like, you know what? Cue the Rocky theme song. Let's do this. And I, the whole summer, I just started running and getting in shape. So eventually they were like, actually, we do want you. Welcome back. You know, it's always like it's a, a lot of my life has been trying to find challenges like that. And so like this trip to Kilimanjaro is just scary enough for me to go, I need to go running, right? Like put down the peppermint mocha. It's time to run because I don't want to get halfway on that trip and be like falling out. So um, how do I, ba- you know, how do I balance all these things? You know, I think it's all about figuring out priorities and in some of that entrepreneurial spirit and that energy, expressing that with some of these challenges, right? So maybe previously I might have like 4,000 4, ideas for a company or, or four different companies at once. Like Cheshire Impact is a fantastic company and the people on the team are just amazing, way smarter than I am now. Like I'm learning from them and, and now I'm using challenges like Kilimanjaro and getting in shape and going to, I went twice to the gym twice this morning. It's crazy. Like I'm transforming myself using those challenges to, express that like, you know, getting that variety out of life, using, using these kind of personal challenges to do that. That way it's not like, Ooh, let me start three companies and then be completely out of balance or like completely abandon my family. Cause I'm off doing this and that and the other thing. It's awesome. I, yeah, each one of those things uh, makes all the other parts better. I mean, the more you invest in your family, the better you are doing the physical piece, which makes you better on the job. And like, so good. It's a positive upward cycle. I'm I'm really excited for you. And, um, and I hope to see some photos from your trip this summer. Yeah. Um, This has been super fun. Thank you again so much for allowing me to host your show. It's been a pleasure. If people want to follow up with you, Casey, or with Cheshire Impact, or they want to check out Marketing Automation Unleashed, where would you send people? Yeah. First of all, don't be a stranger. I'm not in some ivory tower. Literally, my email address is Casey at CheshireImpact.com. Email me. Tell me you like something. Tell me you hate something. 
I just actually want to hear from you. I want to communicate. I want to connect through tech, right? That's what I've always been trying to do all these years just to do that. And then second of all is the book, right? It's on Amazon. You can search for Casey Cheshire or Marketing Automation Unleashed. It's there. There's Kindle, there's paper, whichever one you want to go with. I might maybe do in a little audible action, but either way, like go grab that. Let me know what you think. Um, I'm just always excited to work with people. And of course, Cheshire Impact, we're here to help people with their marketing automation and their CRM. So I'm just here. Connect with me, reach out, email, Twitter as well. Casey Chesh on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, I would say just whenever, whatever you want to do, just connect, you know, because I think we should all connect more in life. Awesome. If you enjoyed any aspect of this, if you laughed or you liked one of the stories or you have a lingering question, reach out to Casey and also share this with someone. If you enjoyed this episode, tell them about the Hardcore Marketing Show. Great conversations. Uh, I know I enjoyed my appearance as a guest as well as now as a host, which is uh, just a delight. <laughs> and so uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Anything you want to leave folks with here, Casey? No, I, I thank you for, for coming on here. Uh, it's, it's so great. Your questions were awesome. Like you, you spent so much time thinking about it and, I, and your time is valuable. So I appreciate it. So I would counter, counter back at you that if people haven't checked out BombBomb, this is the thing to get. And if you send me an email at Casey Chesh uh, or Casey at CheshireImpact.com, I will send you a video from BombBomb back to show you what it's all about. It's really cool and, and people should check it out. Awesome. I love what you're doing, by the way. I mean, your natural uh, um, energy is contagious and, uh, and you've been kind enough to share some of the cool successes you've had communicating internally with some of your team members using a simple personal video. It's just a joy to watch and uh, just another uh, way for you to express who you are. I appreciate you so much, Casey. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.